All right, folks. So tonight we have Paul Daniel. He's um, a life coach, now writer, fiction and nonfiction. Yes, right. Paul Daniel, welcome. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you, Pablo. Yeah. So just uh, to make the story short, uh, we met last week, right? Yes. Last week in a piano meetup. Yes. Yeah. Am I correct? So why you were there? Why you? Tell me. I was there because I am doing my work in artwork, and um, in addition to that, starting my own business, uh, which includes the artwork that I do. And um, so I am in a state where I no longer have the constant interaction with people that comes with um, either being in a job or having employees. Uh, I recently, well, I, I left my job to start my own business and move ahead with everything that's involved with the business from the artwork mm -hmm. to the um, other divisions of the company. And so I need to go ahead and actively acquire interaction with people that will be stimulated. Uh, a person should have social life. Yeah. A human being is a social being, and a social creature, and you need to interact with people. And so I started looking for ways to find people who had values that I value, um, the, the good values of life, um, a good art, um, reason, um, self-esteem, and purposefulness. And so I... Found out, I you know there is I heard of the Meetup app, and mm -hmm. so I searched various terms, everything from puzzles to piano. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, and one of the most um, uh, productive searches was uh, searching the instrument names, and it, that, so specifically piano because mm -hmm. um, I love music. And so um, when I searched piano, I found several different piano meetups, one of which was the one that we met at. And I've gone to it many times, and which I'm, there, there's a couple, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's many, and um, there's more than one good one. And mm -hmm. uh, but um, the the really good ones are hard to find. Um, mm -hmm. You gotta, you know, you know really you have to find dig in, which right? ones are um, in the right style mm -hmm. and have people who you, you click with and mm -hmm. who um, you really enjoy talking with. So. Um, the one that we met at was the one that I found after a long search. Oh, wow. <laughs> of a so you, you have been really digging in. Yeah. Yes. It, it's, it's very interesting because when when I started looking in the meetups, um, the meetup website about performing and just make, um, meet, try to meet with the other musicians, I was having a little bit of trouble though. Yes. Yes, um, it's a little bit surprising in a city of seven million people, six million, seven yeah. million people, and you can find it so hard to find people who are people who have um, culture mm. of the kind that you really search for that would provide you with a satisfying social interaction. Mm -hmm. And some of these meetups really do the trick. Yeah, I, I do. Agree. I found do you say? Um, do you? Are you referring to the, the fact that we are missing this art, art and culture interaction? For example, I'm a composer, I would like to meet with other composers. Yes. I'm a pianist, I would like to just meet up with other pianists and just talk about music and all the aspects surrounding it. 
Do you think we are missing a little bit of that? Um, it, it, what's missing a little bit? Of that? I mean, in that in, in the interaction uh, phase, because we do we do see a lot of concerts, but we we don't see these small groups. I I see what you mean. Yes. Um, when you go to a concert, it's not specifically meant for socialization. Mm -hmm. The most you could do is an intermission. Is um, you know, you see somebody who looks like they're approachable, walk up to them and say. Wow, so, um, you know, how did you enjoy that performance of the piano concerto we just heard? Mm -hmm. I thought that the pianist had a great deal of passion, or I thought the pianist was kind of bland. Mm -hmm. And you might interact. But, you know, this is New York City. People tend to be very cautious. Okay. And so, concertizing isn't a socializing venue. And it creates this odd dilemma that in a city of six million people or so, you can find it very hard to find specifically the kind of people that you really want to interact with. And yeah. um, these meetups allow you to, at minimum, know that when you're, when you're there, there's going to be people who at least have one thing in common. You know, like, if you search piano, if it's a piano meetup, of a, a name like, let's all meet up and hear piano music, or come and play piano, if that's the type. You know that people there at least have an interest in piano music. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's say at a meetup there's um, 20, you know, 15 people who show up. You know, you, you talk with people, usually maybe sometimes, usually afterwards, some people want to go out to maybe a diner and talk with some of the yeah. people they've met. And then you can, then finally you can accomplish what you're looking yes. for, some social life, yes. you know, some, so, some, some vital interactions and mm -hmm. conversation instead of just listening to the music, which is great too. But um, finally, you can interact based on your values. Oh, you love composing too. You play piano. You don't play piano, but you work in the classical music industry. You aren't involved with classical music, but you know you're interested in anything involved with piano. So, what kind of music so far that you've heard? And you can have a conversation, mm -hmm. and that digresses into other things. Oh, so what year did you go to high school? Oh, wow! You know, we graduated pretty much the same year. When I was in school, I was on this kind of team. Um, oh, you also did that kind of team too. Oh, wow! Well, you know, did you know this person? Mm -hmm. Oh, you knew that person. Suddenly, you can maybe find a person you not only Making have some values yeah. with, but you might have a similar uh, history, mm -hmm. and suddenly you're bonded, and mm -hmm. then you're really networking and forming new friends, yes. or if it's in the professional context, um, oh, you know, that, you know, I'm looking for a good piano teacher, oh, you're a piano teacher, oh, wow, mm -hmm. so, you know, suddenly you're interacting on a business yes. context. So, it's a long uh, bit of a winding road, but if you exert the effort with yes. these resources that are out there in the city of six million brand mm -hmm. people, you can, if you keep trying, apparently, you know, like yes. we're talking to each other, mm -hmm. you're doing a podcast, yeah, a week ago, <laughs> up which, top, up top. Yes, <laughs> which is what happened when we, we, when we had the meetup. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went there just for performing, but then I wanted to just make some networking, then I met yeah. you, yeah. and I met all the folks mm -hmm. also, and we just... Mm -hmm. Made more connections, huh? Yes, yeah. 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 So, so you can't. You got to. I guess the bottom line of it is: is use the resources that are out there to bona fide social interact, as opposed to music attend. Mm -hmm. And when you go to those social things, just the keyword for achieving some um, either whatever networking you're looking for. It's mm -hmm. either it's you know personal friends or business, yeah. whatever you're looking for, one word, talk. 
talk. Yeah, find somebody who looks like they might be approachable and speak. You know, it, talk about what has just happened, ask them what kind of work they do, ask questions, answer questions you mm-hmm. get asked, and suddenly you're having some social um, um, fermenting mm-hmm. uh, and okay. creation of the networking of the kind that you're looking for yeah. if what you're trying to achieve is mm-hmm. networking in the music industry. Now that you are you are also a, a life coach, right? Yes. Are you having a lot of difficulties in the classical music um, scene, right? Are you having a lot of people that are very shy and they are in, they are having a hard time trying to interact with other people, or you find you finding that not the case? I would say that um, there's um, a combination. Some mm. people are very amenable to being engaged in a conversation, yeah. and some people are wallflowers. Um, okay. I, I, I'd say um, it, it, it's not exactly this, but it's almost, it's one or the other. They, okay. you know, they, there's the ones who will talk, and there are the ones who are just very much there. They perform, they play the piano, and then they want to leave. Um, and, you know, but uh, that's a personality issue, but that's what I found so far. That said, I'm not actively like soliciting mm. life coaching students at these meetups. Yes. I, I go to, like I mentioned earlier, I go to um, interact socially and have good conversations and perhaps make new friends. Mm-hmm. Which I, I have had success in doing. Yeah, I think I think those small meetups um, they're very focused niche niche wise, right? Yes. They're let's say you're looking for a niche which is music, and then you go to a sub niche which is piano music, yes. and then you go to another sub niche which is piano music meetup. You find these people that have the same interest, and then you can really sit down and have a very common interest conversation, which is very interesting. Yes, almost always after the event. Yes. During it, every, you know, it's one person after another going up to play piano. Mm. Or if it's a guitar meetup, you've got people going exactly. to do guitar music. You've got, um, maybe there's violin meetups and yeah. that type of thing. There's there's chamber music meetups. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be talking during that yeah. because you're, you know, the purpose of it isn't to socialize, it's to hear the music, enjoy that experience. Mm. But afterwards, it's, hey, okay, let's go out let's to have a drink. Mustang let's, Sally's yeah. Bar and Yeah. Let's sit down and have a good steak and talk about I will, stuff. I will, tell you, I will tell you something. Um, in my experience, I used to have a lot of those um, meet meetups when I was doing my bachelor degree, but were not with pianists. Mostly mm-hmm. were guitar players. Guitar players tend to be more socialized. So they like to socialize. They like to relax. I can see that. You can see that, right? Uh-huh. And even when I went to do my master's degree, I find the same common thread. Guitar players were easier to approach and easier to hang out versus the pianist in others, others era. And the, the piano um, classical um, background, I think, may have more people who are more formal and, mm, okay. and may not be actively the type who are the more this is the word for it, the gregarious type. Okay. You, you might see more flamboyant, colorful personalities who play guitar. Yes. It's a very open, interactive medium. Mm. You look, 
you can look directly at the audience during the performance. Ah, the pianist looks at the sheet music or the keys and isn't um, specifically a interactive artist. Mm. So I could see how guitarists would be more gregarious and piano people might be a little, mm. maybe somewhat less. That is, but, you know, there's yeah. that's a good point. like no. yourself who, yeah. talk, who love to talk. Yes, <laughs> no, that's a good point because... You're like me, I love to talk. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like to, I like to socialize, that's a good point. Um, it is true, it's something you have to do with the vocal language. You notice pianists always face towards the other side of the stage rather than facing the audience versus the guitar player which are always yes, facing, facing the audience, the audience yeah. and, the, and the singers also. Yeah. And there maybe it be a psychological effect, um, yeah. um, type of um, issue going on there mm-hmm. uh, um, that one is more focused directly on the music and the other is actively seeking to engage mm-hmm. the audience. Um, yeah. Now, I saw your, your website and noticed that you have um, like 45 projects. And when I say projects, they beautiful it, it projects. Blog issues. Blog so, issues. So, 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 so you take one piece of art, let's say it's a piece of art, whether it's music or, or picture or anything or dance, and you take that, that, that art mm-hmm. and you just start blogging. Um, well, um, allow me to clarify mm. the um, it, what, what we're speaking of. Mm. Um, what I had the idea for was what I call a beautiful project, yes. which was a effort to, um, in one spot, shine a light on great, beautiful things. Yeah. Period. Now, the main way that it's been done so far is the blog of the beautiful project. And, and so I'll just speak about that because that's almost mm-hmm. the only way in which yeah. I'm doing it right now. It's called The Blog About Beautiful Things. If anybody wants to, they can just Google the words The Blog About Beautiful Things, including The The. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's top Google hit as a Google search by its own name. And I uh, moved from third to second to first place. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true, a while, that's true, but yeah. it's like, So The Blog About Beautiful Things, what I do is um, I have a list of hundreds of beautiful things I've encountered over the years. And for each, uh, when I have finally, you know, the time to go ahead and do a new blog issue, I'll select one specific beautiful thing, mm-hmm. which will either be a piece of music, uh, a painting, a statue, yeah. something in nature, um, mm-hmm. and I'll write a short article about that. And what I do is then um, I send out an email of that article, and I post the article as a blog issue with a link to that painting or mm-hmm. statue I included in a blog issue. So what it is, it, it, it's a blog mm-hmm. about beautiful things. Yes. Um, for example, the most recent issue, there's a really exquisite Fred Astaire dance sequence mm-hmm. um, to the well-known piece of music song, uh, Putting on the Ritz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it shows up all well, yeah, the song, you know, yeah. Um, that's a famous song. And his dance sequence to it is, this is one of the most famous Fred Astaire um, dance sequences of one of the greatest dancers mm-hmm. of all time. And so what this is, is a for this long issue, yes. it's a focus on this amazing performance um, clip that this man um, did in this movie. And um, I write you know, some word, words that are endeavoring to express some of the perceptions yeah. that I've had about it and um, some of the things of 
why it's so great. And then um, I said, did I? And, okay. Um, there's about. I think um, list for it, but um, the main thing is is what it does is it mm-hmm. keeps me focused every now and then on the good things in the world and everybody who gets the email or is on the email. So for those about. folks that are wondering on what what he meant by those um, that are getting the email, he has an email list that people subscribe, mm-hmm. and every time that he does an update, they receive. I mean, he make an email to just send it to all his. All, all his email lists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, if anybody wants to be on the email list, the, the email address to email to request being on it is in the about section of the blog. Okay. But um, that's what the project mm-hmm. is to explain what's going on. Yes. It's um, uh, what one could call a beauty aggregator. Mm-hmm. It's a website specifically devoted to being an exhibit of the most beautiful things in existence. Mm. And when you say the, the most beautiful thing, you, you're saying some specific uh, things or it could be a, a picture that you saw and I don't know Google and you said you know what this picture looks very yeah. captivating yeah. and I would like to go extract that beautiful mm-hmm. thing that is captivating mm-hmm. and and then you know laser focus on that in that issue because it gives you this immense burst of mm-hmm. uh, uh, sense of aesthetic satisfaction yes. It's a bit like, you know, you're walking down the street, you see many things. But if you ever were to stop and focus your entire attention yeah. on one flower in uh, azalea bushes or, mm-hmm. uh, or, or in patients, and just look at that flower, one flower specifically, it would be a much more intense aesthetic experience mm-hmm. because you're focused entirely on that one beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're looking at things in general, you're taking in everything, and the, the impact of one individual thing isn't as strong. And by doing this, it draws attention to a beautiful thing, and you can, by having it literally served up to you yeah. as an email or block issue, it allows you to focus in on this beautiful thing. Yeah. And um, so it does good for the readers, it does good for yeah. everybody. Who so there's an effect that. after that, right? People get that that effect, and then I, I can't imagine man, living in the city when you have um, a lot of things going on at the same time. Yeah, it's very hard to look at details, mm. and even in the arts, right? You have classical music, pop music, you have poetry, you have dance. Mm. South inside the only the dance category, you have Southside, you have swing. Mm. You have so many things going on. LA, then, uh, yeah, so swing. so it's a lot, and then we tap everything. Mm. Just the, the list goes on and on and on, and when you want to focus, something's very hard. Yes. Even even though, um, for example, I was in a concert, right? Before I started my, my podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I was inside the building, I was already thinking a lot of stuff that were yeah. happening outside the building. Mm-hmm. So that, only with that, I was... Wheels keep turning even yes. when you're at the concert. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's very hard to, to focus. Now... So, in, in your life coach, life coaching side, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you have uh, patients, uh, not patients, but customers that come to you and they tell you, okay, uh, Paul, how can I just put myself in this center? I'm all over the place. Mm-hmm. How can I just be here instead of here? The just fast answer to that, to an accurate answer to that would be the word refocused. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, as a human being, 
you are always dealing, as an adult especially, with your work, your personal life, the bills that need to get paid, the um, difficult conversation you might have with your significant other, um, the problems going on with your brother, sister, mother, father, family life, a ton of things going on at once. And uh, the issue is if you are going to go to do something which is meant to be relaxing, you there in your mind, you recognize the wheels are still turning up mm-hmm. there. And you, what you do is you label those things as things that are other than what you want to do. Yes. And you attribute those things that are buzzing in your mind to the normal human function of a mind, you know, it's on things. But then, but you have the power as a human being to control what your attention is focused on. And you take this attention that's, you know, going all over the place. And with the full strength of your will, mm-hmm. your volition, you turn your eyeballs and your ears and your head to the music being performed at the concert, and you literally have to will force yourself to listen. Mm-hmm. Probably your mind's still going to start drifting off a little bit towards yeah. the other things. It's kind of like a car that yeah. pulls to the right or the left on the highway that mm-hmm. does, isn't quite properly aligned. And th- this is normal, almost like your brain function. The brain tends to jump around. But you got to keep pulling that car that veers to the right back to the center of the road. Refocus it again on the concert refocus it again on the music, refocus it on the podcast that I'm attending right yeah. now, even though other things might have been going on in your mind. head, yes. You, you keep your mind refocused on the thing that you want to experience mm-hmm. intensely. And for the duration of that thing, it tends to get easier. Yeah. Um, and eventually you find yourself absorbed in the experience. Mm-hmm. It's not to say your mind isn't going to keep moving <laughs> off towards that thing that was bothering you, but by using your volition, your will, yeah. To refocus on the thing, you'll allow yourself, you will make yourself experience more fully. Uh, that is, you'll, you'll see it in greater detail, in greater focus. Yes. You'll feel more. And that's what's meant by making yourself be able to appreciate the experience. Yeah, that's my to, answer. Refocus. Keep refocusing. Yeah, to be honest, um, <laughs> it's hard, but you gotta do it. Yes, yes, that. Um, seems like. There you go. Oh, God. It wasn't recording here. I hope so. Either way. So. Um, yes, the one thing that I really noticed that, um, it's a very simple concept, but then at the same time, it could be a little bit tedious, which is living in the present. Yes. It's a very hard concept and it's very hard to even grasp. How can you just, um, tell people or advise people any exercises of how to identify those thoughts and just say, no, no, no. Go away, I want to live in that moment. My answer would be that the issues that are distracting mm. you, um, one, if they are of such priority that they keep occurring to you, mm. then you um, may need to stop what you're doing and resolve them. Yeah. It, if, that may, if that is a sensible thing to do. If your activity is um, so being distracted by the um, concern over the romance that you're in or um, the financial trouble that you're having, um, 
if I'm not saying at work, you should stop yeah. what you're doing and you know start you know re-examining how you're budgeting that month. What I'm saying is that if there's something that keeps occurring to you persistently, it's uh, perhaps something to go ahead and just solve that problem. Yes. Um, you know, um, literally, um, you know, smack down that gopher that keeps popping up in mm-hmm. your head. Um, and when play, smack down that, that mole that keeps as if it's whack mole keeps yeah. popping up. That said, if something is a continuously occurring to you despite your having already resolved it, um, not that I'm a professional psychotherapist, but mm-hmm. I, I'm aware as a life coach the technique that's called cognitive behavioral therapy, which has many different ways to apply it, but in a nutshell can be described mm. as what I already said. Relabeling it, reattributing it, relabeling it as a distracting thing that keeps occurring to you, um, an intrusive thought, mm. reattributing it to some cause, either because you're sleep-deprived or you're stressed and things tend to bother you more in those states, yeah. you reattribute it to that cause, and then you volitionally make yourself refocus. And that's how mm-hmm. you stay in the moment, in any context. And, um, yeah. And, so basically, and, and let time pass. Yes. Let time pass after you refocus and you keep exerting effort to refocus because your brain will eventually focus on what you want okay. to refocus. So on. basically, basically make it stand the moment by refocusing yeah. on what you want to. So those, um, those things are be in the moment with. Okay. So those things are getting you out of focus. Make, try to make them, make them as concrete as possible and just try to put them away yeah. or it's so it's, it's yeah. just I don't know you, I, if, if you're a person who you know is organized which is advisable mm-hmm. write it down on a piece of paper yeah. or as if you use like a smartphone if it has a reminder function set a reminder for 7.15 p.m. Yeah. to you know deal with the uh, paying of the Verizon phone bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you know you set a reminder that you, if you're going to deal with it, you're going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But you're going to deal with it later. And so whatever the problem is, you know, deal, deal, you know, have a good conversation about the you know thing that your inconsiderate roommate mm-hmm. is doing. You know, but that way it's been dealt with, and you can refocus then on what you should be focusing mm-hmm. on. So that's a very common uh, topic inside the uh, self-development um, uh, world. World, mm-hmm. they say like, like if you have this thought, right? Try to identify that thought, right? And try even to look for information about that thought, right? Mm-hmm. In that way, you can really con- make it concrete instead of something that can control you. So yes. So instead, let's say that I'm feeling bad because my shoes um, got wet, right? Mm-hmm. Identifying that feeling, right, or that emotion and say, oh, wait, what is this that I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm feeling like this. Let me just look on the internet in this case and look for why I'm feeling like this when my shoes are getting wet. And then you're going to have a lot of results. So the process is that you're identifying now the, the emotion. Now you're having control, a logical yeah. control, yeah. instead of an emotion. Yes. Which it could be, like I said in a couple of, a couple of my videos, it could be a, a sort of double blade, right? If you don't control that, it can get you out of, out of your yes. destiny. And not destiny, but your... What, your purpose. Purpose, yes. yes. Um... Yeah, um, you have more projects here. You have like, oof. Like. Well, each one isn't a project. Um, it's it's simply a, a blog issue. Mm-hmm. Um, each one is, uh, you know, a couple of paragraphs yeah. about a single beautiful thing. 
Um, so far, I've published um, 45 blog issues, mm-hmm. and um, that's all that there is to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the blog about beautiful things isn't a list of projects. It's a it, it's literally a blog, mm-hmm. and the individual things on it are blog issues. Each one has its own beautiful thing, which mm-hmm. is the subject of the issue, and that's all that there is to it. That's that's really nice. Yeah. Well, I like this. I like that concept. Uh, okay, Thank so you, you said you said that you work in the classical music industry. Yes. Ah, uh, tell me a little bit about it. Yes, that was a long period. Um, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do with my mm-hmm. life, and now I know I'm doing it. But um, I had a ton of jobs over the course of about 13 years. The first one was um, I worked in the East Village Tower Records classical music department, uh, when there was still music retail. <laughs> um, and I worked there for 10 months. And there was it was the world's largest classical music department, yeah. over 50,000 CDs. Oh, wow. Uh, yes, it was just um, like the greatest temple to classical music. Yes. And um, it was the um, international headquarters for the classical music mm. of Tower Records, the international buyer of that particular department. And so mm. um, it was an ex- I, I grew up in classical music um, yeah. and um, I had a European lessons, but um, working there gave a real seasoning to my knowledge of recordings okay. and exposure to the more obscure but still great classical music composers like uh, Max Rieger and, like so uh, yes, and, and the more cheerful music of Dmitry Shostakovich. Um, so um, I learned a lot about classical music there, about recordings, and I mm-hmm. met some, even some of the musicians who were on the CDs. You know, yes. a guy came in and he said, I need a recording of Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique. I want to give it as a gift to my granddaughter, because I'm actually the person who plays the clarinet and who's playing that famous melody. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it's this particular uh, symphony with this conductor. Do you have it in stock? And I'm just like, oh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. So amazing stuff like that. And um, after that, I worked for um, five months at the Virgin mm-hmm. Megastore Union Square yeah. Classical Music Department. And I met Joshua Bell. Oh, uh, yes. Great violinist mm-hmm. there. And that was amazing. Um, he was really nice. And um, we talked. He was open for a bunch of things. And, Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, as you work in the Lincoln Center too, right? Yes. yes. And, and so, um, I was in other jobs after that, um, while I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do while yeah. still trying to, you know, make a living. And so finally, um, I landed in a job that was suitable for maintaining my lifestyle while I was figuring things out. Okay. It was a very, very, um, developmental job. Um, I worked for six years at the New York City Ballet um, department where they sold memberships in the Guild, Uh the membership division, um, where you got nice benefits like house seats or a really big edge on Nutcracker tickets, which is popular, um, at the various levels. So you have all those... Uh, tickets and all the stuff right there in your hands. Um, we not the physical tickets, um, okay. but what we had was um, the materials about the membership yes. levels, and we talked with people who had bought tickets in the past about 
The real issue was that the ballet needed money to yes. keep itself going in addition to the money that came in from tickets. Mm-hmm. So um, they have the guild. That's what the membership yes. divisions of most non-profit you know, profit arts yeah. companies is for. And so um, I, for what we would do is for three months, uh, let's say you know, January through um, March, it, it would be selling yeah. of the guild memberships. And then it would be three months of selling the... Um, upcoming um, winter seasons yes. subscriptions. So it was three months of selling guild memberships, three months of selling subscription tickets, mm-hmm. and another three months of selling guild memberships, and then three months of selling the spring seasons okay. subscriptions. So six years straight, I did, I, all day and day out talking with people who love ballet, yeah. and um, I, they wanted the people who were selling the subscriptions yes. to attend the performances so you could really speak more fluently with the um, attendees. Yes. And so there in the fourth ring of where they gave us seats, I saw a ton of neoclassical, neoclassical ballet, yes. a lot of Balanchine, Jerome Robbins, Christopher Whedon, and um, other um, uh, choreographers mm-hmm. um, that was some of which is some of the most intense aesthetic experiences mm-hmm. I've ever had. Like the opening moments of the Tchaikovsky Serenade in C. Oh, yeah, that's It's that famous yeah. uh, melody line. Mm, that, that's a beautiful. Oh, I love and, and the, way, and the oh, yes. opening and the shining of the yes. blue light on the dancers as they stand perfectly mm. still—it's just it's mind blowing. So um, there were six years there um, in one of the various positions that yes. I had. I, I won't I say which one. I met mm. Mikhail Gershnikov, the greatest ballet dancer who has mm. ever lived. I mean, I met him and we talked for an hour and a half. Ah, um, so you had you had the opportunity to speak with him. Yeah, yeah. It, okay. it was in a, a different context than working yes. at the ballet, but I did encounter him. And since we're talking about ballet, yeah, I met yes. Mikhail Gershnikov, and that was just amazing because, mm. um, I mean, I had been watching his uh, um, performance of the Nutcracker, the American mm. Ballet Theater Mikhail Gershnikov production yes. of the Nutcracker. It's it's basically considered a definitive performance of the Nutcracker. Mm. I had been watching it since I was three years old, and um, Grishnikov is um, a, such a superlative dancer. Yeah. You know, just a, a sublime technique that, you know, everyone from Gelsey Kirkland to um, Balanchine thought of in mm-hmm. the highest respect. And after all his years of, he, you know, he, he retired from ballet dancing and yeah. he switched to being an actor. And as everybody knows, he was on certain TV shows. And um, um, then after all of that, um, he still has his, he has his own ballet center. And, um, and so after all of these things and hearing and seeing in my whole life, I met him. And mm. we talked. And I've got to say, he was just such a regular Pleasant Dude, guy, yeah. just absolutely zero any kind of you know, celebrity um, snootiness. He was so pleasant to talk to, and it reminded me of my yeah. heritage because um, my my heritage in part is um, from Hungary, yeah. and, uh, and um, there's an Eastern European immigrant type of behavior, mm-hmm. very very down to earth, very candid, very dealing with nuts and bolts, and very honest about reality. It's a certain Eastern European way of talking about things. Mm. And Mikhail Baryshnikov, what, what is he? He's a Russian immigrant mm. <laughs> in America. And I, I could see his 
kind of Eastern <laughs> European candidness about life and the way he spoke, um, uh, I, I, I kind of related to because they, I grew up around those. Yeah, people. they tend to be more down, um, down to earth. Yes. Down to earth. Very yes. straightforward. <laughs> you can uh, you can have a very straightforward. You can easily get yes or no. Yes. Easily. Yes. You don't have to play games with them. Yes. Um, yes. I uh, think around Slavic um, individuals. Yes. Polish and. Um, Russians and they will yes. they're not going to play games they will take yes exactly. or no exactly and that's exactly how he was and yeah. um like I said you know we talked for an hour and a half yeah um and that was a real pleasure um yeah. and um the so uh, I, I other people I briefly encountered while working um, so for like for three months I worked at Carnegie Hall for okay, the New York yes. City Ballet I that's into, what I wanted, I yeah. wanted to get to the Carnegie Hall yeah I, I bumped into Franz Onazorg in the um, elevator mm. on the way up to my interview yeah and he looked at me and he said pardon me do you work for Carnegie Hall and I said not yet <laughs> 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 but you know, eventually yeah. I was hired. And, um, eventually, I switched to New York City Ballet um, for a bunch of reasons. Um, oh, and, okay. um, but I did briefly work there. So, how at easy how easy it is to get a spot in Carnegie Hall? Well, uh, we're, what we're speaking of here is not a position that requires music training, okay, um, it, or even music administration background um, or uh, bachelor's. Uh, it, all in music, um, theory no, of I, any kind. What we were the people. Uh, this was a, uh, remember. This was a department that was selling subscriptions. What okay, they really yes. wanted was people who could sell well. Sell, um, so, okay. so uh, they would train you um, if you had no experience in classical music, yes. and they would have you attend concerts. What they needed was people who could talk to people well about um, the upcoming season yes. to give it over the phone color, yeah. sufficient yeah. color that the other person would sign up for a subscription. Yeah. So, <laughs> they, will, they will teach you the cell pitch, they will yes, teach you the, exactly. the rapport, and that way you can you get the, the yes. closing. Franz mm -hmm. um, was the director of Carnegie yes. Hall at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I noticed that um, Carnegie Hall is one, we, we get, we, we get, it's one of the, the best places to of, Vegas of, of performance, of the performance the right? Yeah. But, I mean, everybody from around the uh, world, everybody yeah. from Isaac Stern to the Beatles has performed yes. at Carnegie Hall. The, the simple fact it's that Mecca for performance. Tchaikovsky was the Tchaikovsky composer performed that, at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the composer chosen to open the the Carnegie Hall um, venue is he tells you what, where is the history of that place. Huge um, so now my question. Uh, let me just clarify my question is. Okay, if I if I'm I'm a musician, I'm a pianist, mm -hmm. and I would like to get surrounded those people that worked with the Carnegie Hall um, mm -hmm. um, area or the Carnegie Hall environment. Like let's call it environment. How can people manage to go or surpass uh, to get? How can I explain to get a direct um, contact? With even the manager or the person that booked the the concerts. Well, I'd say there's um, a couple of approaches, mm -hmm. um, which I can think of um, mm -hmm. myself. I've never industriously endeavored to uh, um, networks with mm -hmm. specific uh, performance venue personnel. 
but if I wanted to meet people who worked at Carnegie Hall, um, one, um, I would, uh, first I would handle it in the most blunt way, which is, you know, yes. just either somebody who you want to speak with for some reason about networking, you call them and say, listen, I am going to be doing a podcast and I'm really interested in uh, promoting the history of Carnegie Hall. Mm, so you would, speak, you would call and ask who handles history of Carnegie Hall. And you, and you make it a bottom line, you make an appointment. Yes. You know, I would say the most honest approach is the best approach. Um, okay. And, and not anything other than bluntly, you know, if you want to interact with people who work at Carnegie Hall, I would say the right way to do it is Endeavor to interact with a person who yes. works at Carnegie Hall. You call and ask if they would be willing to, um, you know, have an appointment where you could come and yes. talk to them for some very coherent, clear business reason. Mm. Um, there's other things that you can do, however. Um, one, um, for example, at many classical music concerts, yeah. there's what's called going back. It's not necessarily done at every concert. It's kind of at the discretion of the artist. But, um, like, when I went to see Sarah Chang mm -hmm. perform at Carnegie Hall, I called and I asked, will they be doing Going Back at okay. Carnegie Hall? And they said, yes, Sarah Chang, she's going to be doing it. She's very traditional. And Going Back means after the concert... It's kind of amazing that this exists, or if they're still doing it, I don't know for security, but they were a lot, you know, the last time yes. they tried to. Um, there is the, what's called the, uh, well, it's either the green room or it's the dressing room of the performing artist. And after the concert is over, anybody who wants to meet that artist, if the artist has said they'll do it, you go back and you stand on a line that might be 20 people deep. Yes. Uh, to wait to speak with Sarah Chang and you know, Chang say thank you. I enjoyed your performance yes. so much. Ask any questions, and uh, this is allowed by certain venues, mm -hmm. and it's allowed by certain artists. It's um, I would say, um, as far as I know, it's a it's a carryover of the old European traditions. Yes of interaction between the artist and the audience. Mm. Um, it, it, as far as I know, in the 1800s and the early um, 20th and 1900s, it was considered almost the rigueur. It, it was almost um, the usual and almost expected for the artist to be receptive to, after a concert, uh, having audience members come and um, thank them and briefly speak with them. It, it, it's a tradition of classical yes. music. Today, with heightened security and stuff, um, I don't know if it's still being done at Carnegie Hall, but it, I, I met Sarah Chang, and we spoke for like um, 10 minutes, and it was a really nice conversation. Um, and I met um, um, I, I met Emmy, uh, what's her name? Uh, Hilary Hahn. Um, mm. another violinist yes. um, at, at Carnegie Hall too and we had a very pleasant conversation it was wonderful to meet them I thanked them for their performer, yes. uh, performance I thanked Hilary Hahn for her wonderful recording with the Beethoven Violin Concerto yes. that she had recently put out which was a big hit and then I left and um, that's, that's how it goes so in this manner you're interacting with the yes. performers inevitably there are people there from their record from their recording labels inevitably there's staff that's there for the protection, protection of the, uh, you know, security guards. Mm -hmm. And so, if you were looking to speak with somebody about stuff, you could in that way too.
Yes. Yeah. So, if nothing else, you may get to meet a world famous uh, performer. Yes, <laughs> and that's a fair point. That the fact that and, and you could ask them. By the way, I have this going on. Would mm-hmm. you be interested? And they'll say um, no, or they'll say, "Well, all that goes through my agent. This is their phone number." And oh, okay. then you can call the agent, and you can say, "I spoke with you know this time." So okay. And, so, and they they're used to this. People approach mm-hmm. them about projects and stuff all the time. And uh, <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't mind if they said, "You know what? I don't." I can't. I can't. Totally. Yeah, because when I went to see Les Brown in, in, in Newark, right? Uh huh. I went to see him, and I was waiting for the, him. The motivational speech. Yes. Of Les yes. Brown. Yeah. And I could, I couldn't see him because he he didn't. He wasn't feeling good, you know. Uh, yeah. He's he's had some very very yes. terrible health problems. Yes. Um. And um, I, think, I, I can see how he would. Yeah, and that's completely understandable. I think that. So we should Especially after the way he speaks, because that man, yes. he is about passion. And yeah, after one of his just, uh, um, when uh, I, his events, uh, yeah. Paul, when I went to see him in New Jersey, right, I never felt a, an incredible energy from mm-hmm. somebody. It was like he just somehow just was cracking my mind and my emotion. It was a very Intense experience. Yeah. I, I was he, like, he's a, he, he's a fast speaker, an emotional speaker, yeah. and he speaks about the events that were poignantly, in the most painful ways, affecting yes. his life. And so, yeah, that man will blow your way. And for yeah. those folks that haven't haven't seen, haven't yet, I'm not saying everything. Less, I'm not saying everything Les Brown says is is true, mm. or, or it's necessarily the right way to do yes. life coaching. Because to maintain that level of passion, you know, outside that event, you know, you try to live that way. Yes, right, you're exhausted after yeah. two days. Um, but um, he is. Uh, there are many things that he does, says that are inspirational. Yes, especially about persistence. Yes, he just in fact his his story. Right, he he came from from I think it was um Liberty City in Florida. And he was poor. Yes. And he was labeled as a mentally retarded. Yes. And it, just with that, where he's now, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's a clear evidence that you you should at least check check him out, even for musicians. I don't know. I don't know. He's, I know he's you, had a real uphill yeah. battle with this I don't know if you encountered this, but musicians, um, classic musicians, when I start talking about self development and these people like Robert Greene. Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. Les Brown. It, it seems like I, I cannot. I cannot get there. I cannot talk about those things with uh, this kind. Of, uh, this kind of uh, environment. It, it seems like when I talk about Tony Robbins, uh, Six Ziglar, and all these great self-development uh, individuals, it seems like it's not there. It's, it's not even recogni- recognizable. It's like the topic is not. Uh, the topic of self-development is not there. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So, uh, why is that? You you you've been around the block, around classic musicians a lot. Yeah. So why is that? Why is that? Which is very needed. I mean, as a, a classic musician, you have to spend a lot of hours in your instrument. Yes. You have to spend a lot of just play in front of people. That yeah, can, for some for, sure. for some uh, folks, it's not easy. They have to go to therapy. They have to eat like five bananas and stuff like that. They have to drink their own coffee, decaf. So it goes deeper than that. Why is that? Why do you think? That that thing of not going. You know what? Let me just go to the self development. Why yeah. hasn't that become yeah. a significant presence in yes. the classical music industry? Mm. Um, I believe uh, I haven't studied that, but just mm. um, here, here spontaneously answer your question. I believe the answer to that is that the arts tend 
and uh, in particular music, yes, tends to get treated with a more non intellectually explicit uh, manner of thinking and acting about it than most other categories of work. And uh, it, for, it, to put it in, um, in one term, it, it's treated as almost a more mystic thing, mm, a thing okay. which can't be put into exact words, in part because music, those melodies tend to come from your subconscious. Yes. And people view that as a purely inspirational type of thing, which the cause for which either shouldn't be looked for or can't be found, which isn't true. It, it, you, you can explain it, but the current state yes. is that music is something that is created in a passionate, emotional, and... Um, inspiration type way that is not intellectually understood and mm. therefore the idea of somebody speaking to you about self-development and how to motivate yourself is something that seems like it's in a very different lane yes. of a different highway yes um that you know music is this um undefinable thing and self-development mm -hmm. and motivation and uh, life coaching is very much about uh, which would benefit a musician mm -hmm. you know, it's about coming to understand how you function as a human being and how to make yourself live in a really good way in a yes. best, in hopefully the best way mm -hmm. and so I think that's why mm. the, uh, it, the music industry has never, so far, um, adopted the practices that certain other industries, like concrete business yes. uh, or electronics or information technology mm. or um, um, or sports, yes. which are very concrete, mm -hmm. very even mathematical, mathematical and yes. analytical, and so are more amenable to an intellectual guidance about how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, somebody who does music might feel very averse to hearing about an intellectual analysis mm -hmm. about how they could provide, them, create inspiration in themselves, um, because they regard it as something that they should just let happen in an organic way. But at the same time, because they don't have a structure for it, they may yeah. have more difficulty. And so they, they would be better. But I would say that that's why. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. So I never far, thought about it. So far. Eventually, I think that it will come in. But, it, but it, again, it, utterly, this is clear. Life coaching is a very new profession. It is true. <laughs> it's it, it been around for how long? I mean, like 40 years or something like that? It, 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 it's, I would say it existed, um, as I understand the history of the profession, it started in literally coaching. And when I say coaching, I mean yes. sports coaching. Sports coaches talking about what made for a really good player and what makes for a really mm. good team. Then they started speaking with businessmen in, in, yes. in corporations about how to be strong in your work and how to have your team and mm. your business work. And from this, there grew this new thing separate from sports of yes. the motivational speaker 
and eventually this new term, not the sports coach, but the life coach, the yeah. term got coined. And the watershed moment sort of for this motivational type of work was, I, to the best of my knowledge, Stephen Covey's publication of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That, I love that book. That's a, that, that's a book that a lot of people could relate to because it was so concrete. Mm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective just, People. Just get those seven yeah. habits, read it, reread it. <laughs> you will, just make sure that you really eat. Make sure they're, they're ingrained in your mind. Because one thing is just to read it and say, oh, there's seven habits. But then when you read it and try to apply them, you will say, you will, you will feel some changes. Yeah. You will feel some changes. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying seven habits of pilot the people is the be all and end all of self guidance mm. or anything like that. What it was is that after the publication of that book, a lot yes. more people have heard of motivational books, mm-hmm. more of the motivational speakers. And, and things have grown, and it's still growing. It's like mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's alchemy turning yes. into the exact science of chemistry, mm-hmm. but it's taking a very long time. And you, you had a question about artistic inspiration, yes. which I think connects well to this. But mm-hmm. You go ahead. Right? So the thing is that um, as an artist, right, um, we do we do we do let ourselves to to be guided by okay inspirations, right? But then in this in, in the same time. We have to do the, the hard work. We have to do the hustle, right? For example, I'm a pianist. I have to sit down and I have to practice like crazy. So there, there by itself, there's one tool that I can say like, hey, I'm practicing and I know my body's not liking it, but I know it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So right there, I'm making the connection between the self-development. I'm making a huge connection saying to myself, okay, this is... I need to do this because I do believe in the process. Yes. Because if I do this tomorrow, I'll be better. Yes. Yeah. And I have a, a friend of mine, Mike Bain, he's a comedian. And we speak about this all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's a comedian, you know. As a comedian, you get exposed very, like, you know, you being in a comedy show, you, you, you say a bad joke, you know, that the, the thing is coming, right? It's, so they have to well, work yeah. with that. So it's almost the most exposed, I think, a person in the arts, can be, right? because there's no instrument, there's nothing else, it's you and the audience, it's all on yeah. you, um, it, yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it, it's the most raw exposure I think a person can it's have, and you, you, hard, you need yeah. a very, very, very various <laughs> personality out going to get up on that stage and tend to make people laugh, and so what, what was he talking about, that he needs to practice a lot? Or? No, that, no, he's a great comedian, man, and mm-hmm. I've been talking to him, and even, even when he speaks to me, and he talked to me, you can see his nature in his comedy, right? Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. He already has the comedy in his nature, so yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah. to work on that. But then oh, the oh, other okay. when you mentioned practice earlier, I thought that's what. You meant. Yeah. yeah. So when ahead. when you go to the to the mental area, right? Uh-huh. To the to the to the mind things that's going on, right? Like we were talking about a couple couple minutes ago, living in the present. Just make sure that these thought that's going on while I'm doing the joke is not interfering between my jokes and my feelings, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that a lot, right? Yes. But then, here's the thing, I can speak with him and all the comedians about these topics, right? But then when I go to a classic musician, it's like, it's not, it's not even correlated. It's just like, even though they are very correlated, yeah? Mm-hmm. When you, when you see, when you hear a lot, of, I mean, when you read a lot of uh, story, uh, history about Beethoven himself, he has his own belief system. When you, 
when you see Mozart, when you see Bach, you see Rachmaninoff, you see all these great composers and great musicians, you see, you tend to see their sudden belief. They have their own belief. They, they just go with those beliefs. You see where I'm, where I'm coming from? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's the disconnection that I'm, I'm seeing, which it could be very he helpful. Yeah. 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 Uh, there, there's a personality type difference that causes it. There's a behavior um, that is different. I mean, a, a stand-up comedian is all about direct interaction with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, performing a musical performing arts um, musician is about performing a piece of music well that's going to be perceived by the audience member but that's their interaction they're interacting with the performance yes. not in any direct way with the performer mm. um, it, whereas um, verbal stand-up comedy is about verbal direct interaction mm. with the audience and the um, stand-up comedian and so mm. it's going to create a an absence of a wall yes. for interaction when you talk to the stand-up comic, which the classical musician, they, they could be totally a wallflower, and they could be completely um, unsocial as a person. I'm not yes. saying they are. I, I'm, saying, I'm saying it's, possible. it's but, possible. But nevertheless, they could go out on that stage, and perhaps because of the immense values and soulfulness and the greatness of what they have inside them, yes. they could do the most mind-blowing performance mm -hmm. of the Chopin heroic polonaise that yes. you have ever heard. But that's your reaction to their performance mm. and not your reaction to the interaction with that person. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're making the difference that the, co the comedian is having interaction yes. while the musician is... And I don't want to say he's not having a reaction, but he's, he's doing something to to prove to me. Let's say to it's not apply. I don't want to say the, the I, word I, apply. I think the words could be that a comedian is interpersonal, whereas a musician is interactive. Interactive. Yeah, I, okay. that's the best word I can mm. think of. Um, they, they create something which the audience responds to. It's an interaction. But not a personal interaction. Not a personal yeah. interaction. Whereas the stand-up comedian is a hundred percent interpersonal, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a different skill set. It's well, one's yeah. about playing the piano, the other is about playing the person. Yeah, <laughs> that's completely. It's about playing your audience. Yeah, you, far away. Yeah, yeah. a comedian away. plays his audience. Yes, a artist plays an instrument. And, mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that they talk well with others. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yes, that's a good point. When I went to uh, when I went to Italy, right? It was it was a great experience. I did uh, saw a lot of different um, uh, personalities, right? Mm -hmm. um, great musicians, but each one has a so different personality. You know, mm -hmm. it was crazy. Um, but in the in the meanwhile, I can see. Which ones, you know, were not more outspoken, or which one were more, you know, into themselves, mm -hmm. which was something very interesting. I I met an Italian um, piano player, which was a composer called uh, Carlos, and he he was very outspoken. But then when when we talk about um, performance, he will get, you know, inhibited. No, like very into himself, like oh god. 
I'm very scared. I don't want to. to he got. Yeah. He felt anxiety. Yeah, his anxiety. About, yes. About but he was a very confident guy. You will see. Like he was so so confident. But then that skill set, mm-hmm. right? He, he had some concerns. Over yeah. That. Interesting. And especially interesting because I, I mean, speaking in the most general sense, not to stereotype, but yes. Italians are they're so gregarious. And um, he could see, like you were saying, he was yes. confident. He was a friendly guy, but it, when it came to the work it, things and discussing it, he, he had some, some concerns. And yes. So um, I, it, it um, shows that. Well, I, I, I guess you know, knowing your work in, in the end always helps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but by, not but, that not that it's a bad thing that he mm-hmm. was. You know, no, he. he but by the way, he performed the piece. He was phenomenal. I mean, he played very good, very good. But of course, because if it was not a skill set that he was used to do, right, playing in front of people, that's when everything comes in. It's like telling me, okay, Pablo, I want you to just go and manage uh, a big company. I would just probably just be very scared, like, I don't know how to do with this stuff. Man. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't put me there, you know. So, all right. I think we're going to just... It's call it for today. I think um, was nice. Uh, it was a good, wonderful talk. I remember yeah. though you had wanted um, to maybe um, discuss a little bit about artistic inspiration and where um, inspiration can come from. Oh I'm yes, wrong. yes. Um, I, I, do you, you want to talk about that a little? Um, you had mentioned that it was something that maybe we could talk about because oh I, yes, I, yes, I, I just go. I, yeah. I, yeah, we have a, a couple minutes. Yeah, yes. okay. Um, just to, to cover that, um, mm. that. Um, Artistic inspiration being the thing that occurs to you in your yes. mind about a idea for doing a work of art. If something occurs to you, this could be a work of art. Yes. Where does that come from? And what I can say to answer the question you had asked about, you know, like where artistic, you're, you know, you're doing your writing column, you're doing your blogging, where do the ideas come from? I wanted to say that the ideas can come from anywhere so long as you are active-minded. You have to be That's thinking. a point. That's a very good point, yes. And um, artic- artistic inspiration can happen to you regularly. You don't have to wait for finally a great idea to occur to you. You can have great ideas occur to you, but, if, but you have to be endeavoring to make them occur to you. Just for example, um, it, or to put it this way, Nothing comes free. You have to be mm-hmm. creative in order to have something happen. An artistic inspiration idea is something that you make happen in your mind. Example, you're listening to the radio, um, to uh, a radio show, and it's a guy who, you know, let's say it's a variety show where there's different musicians that play, and then the host tells stories about his life, and, um, you know, you've listened to that show more than once, and you're aware, you know, there's other people in the world who have, you know, Matt Nix, he's made shows like Burn Notice, and he's made shows like The Gifted, and, you know, there's so mm-hmm. many people out there you're thinking who have made, you know, all these stories, and you say to yourself, wow, you know, if you're being active-minded, you try to find the words for it. These guys are legend makers, you know, they're telling these stories, and it's all made up, and then you say to yourself, wait a minute. Legend maker. That's a very interesting term. Yes. And you're still being active minded and you think, okay, well, maybe I could write a book and, and call it The Legend Maker. That's a good title. 
Okay, so now what could that be about? A local legend maker could be about a person who is involved with the inspiration, like the Greek muses, mm-hmm. that gave inspiration to writers. And you can write a story about this being the legend maker. Okay, then, so all of a sudden, you're, you have, by being active-minded about the things you're, you're seeing yes. and hearing, you've created an inspiration for what could become a, you know... Um, superlative novel, like yes. a Harry Potter series, or anything. You know, so you mean, mean probably the the, the the that masterpiece that you you probably took a pulse enough, right, to make it alive. It's that you, what you have there is yeah, what you have made is the seed idea, mm-hmm. the the inspiration. It's the seed idea. It's just the seed. It's not the fully grown. You know, big it's all tree. what you need. It's, it's the seed, yeah. which you then you have to. Well, then you have to make a plot. You have to create characters. You have to yes. decide um, what you want the style of the book to be, what things to include. But you've had the inspiration for a work of art because you were thinking about all this stuff that you see around. You. That what I'm saying is that artistic inspiration yes. isn't something that happens. Um, in some undefinable way. When it happens, it can happen um, as a surprise, or it can happen by conscious effort. Mm. And th- this, this can happen by looking at large numbers of beautiful paintings and taking all those images into your mind, if you're a composer, and then trying to create from those images mm. sound. So that you don't have to wait around as a composer for the next melody line to yeah, hear it's not about to happen. That's true. That's um, it, it, yeah. So artistic inspiration in the various art forms, it, if you exert the effort, you, you put stuff into your subconscious yes. this way, and then you exert the effort for something to come out of it. That inspiration can come, and it, it requires effort, but um, artistic inspiration can happen in this way. Um, um, and so it, it, it's it's not something that you need to wait to happen, which can become a somewhat desperate process. Mm-hmm. It's something you can make happen to you by putting stuff into your mind, into yes. your subconscious, thinking about it, and then creatively generating something out of it that is this, the inspiration. That's a seed, mm-hmm. and then you develop it into a full work of art. I'm not composing. I can relate very closely to what you said. Yeah. So I, I really, I really have ideas, and as soon as I get idea. I just get the eight percent, which is the whole. So just to get sit down, write it down, mm-hmm. put all the technique in, and all that stuff. Uh, so we have to, yeah, yeah. we have to stop. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. Paul and uh, Daniel, right? Yes. The Daniel, you can find him in the blog about beautiful thing dot com dot wordpress dot com, yeah. right? Or email. You have an email where people can contact you. Yes. Um, a underscore beautiful thing at yahoo dot com. Okay. And you go for any Facebook, social media? Um, well, the WordPress blog, there's the Twitter account of yes. the um, beautiful project of, of the blog, and um, there's all kinds of other social media that um, on, but um, as far as um, these things, I mean, those are the right ones to look at. Okay, perfect. <laughs> there you go, folks. Paul Daniel, the owner of the blog about beautiful things. Thank you for coming. A pleasure. Uh, thank you so much.